From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday, August 4th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Hebei province continues to struggle with surging floodwaters as the emergency situation in Beijing gradually calms down. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to charges of conspiring to overturn the 2020 election. Small towns and villages in China are attracting an increasing number of foreigners wishing to create a life in the countryside. In business, China's latest moves to boost the economy and drive high-quality development. In sports, a Team China update from the World University University games and in culture and entertainment, Russian films on screen at the 18th Chungchun Film Festival. Now the day's top stories. While calm has gradually returned to the worst affected areas in Beijing, neighboring Hebei province is still battling surging waters. The national emergency response now sits at the second highest level for the region, with over 1.2 million residents relocated. The city of Zhuazhou is among the hardest hit areas in Hebei, where local authorities have deployed over 8,700 people to help with relief efforts. Chen Mengfei has more. Floodwaters remain in Zhuzhou, posing a challenge to rescue those still trapped in heavily impacted areas. Rescue teams are facing longer travel times to reach the villages from the base camp. We dispatched the three boats this morning at 8 o'clock. Only one has returned so far. It took back seven people. Delays are caused by equipment breakdowns and strong currents in the water. We're on our way to go to one of the villages still trapped, but a new situation has occurred. We've been told that there's a new flood coming upstream. So all the smaller boats that don't have enough motor power to withstand the increased current have now been all called back to the shore because the water level is expected to rise and it's also going to be more tumultuous. So we've all come back to the shore. 
waiting for what's next. At the base camp, villagers who have been rescued say they look forward to having electricity restored. The situation was okay, but the children were suffering because it was too hot. Unofficial statistics suggest more than 10,000 people have been rescued from flooded areas, and up to 10,000 people could be in need of further relief over the coming days. That was Chen Mengfei in Zhuzhou. Official data shows that uh, the Haihe River Basin in northern China is experiencing the worst flooding since 1963. Torrential rains since July 28th have uh, caused the water levels of 21 rivers in the Haihe River Basin to exceed warning lines, among which eight rivers have logged the largest floods on record. The cumulative precipitation in the river basin amounts to about 135 millimeters on average. The Haihe Basin is densely populated and involves many large and medium-sized cities, including Beijing, Tianjin, Shijiazhuang, uh, Tengshan, and Qinhuangdao. Northeast China has been uh, seeing heavy rainfall since late last month, with flooding reported in the Mudan River Basin. Heilongjiang province has raised its flood response to the second-highest alert level. Authorities in the province say they've been uh, mobilizing all available resources for rescue and relief operations. In nearby Jilin province, authorities are closely monitoring water levels and have taken various precautions to reduce disruption. In the meantime, Typhoon Canoons battered the Taiwan region with strong winds and heavy rainfall. It's the second time the island's been affected by a typhoon in the span of a month. Typhoon Doksuri cost around $9 million of damage. Andy Lee has more. The impact that Typhoon Canoon has made to the island of Taiwan is less compared to the previous typhoon, Doxury. Now, many households are still experiencing electrical blackouts due to the down power lines, and the local electric company are working round the clock to restore the power to these households right now as we speak. So um, this typhoon, Kanun, has not caused any fatalities or casualties. That's the fortunate part of this. As of yesterday, Thursday, has caused northern parts of the island of Taiwan to have their offices and schools shut down due to the effects of typhoon. Now, the local authorities did that because they want to keep people safe, asking people not to go out into the storm. And as of today, Friday, this early morning, 5.30 a.m., the local authorities here in Taiwan, the weather station here in Taiwan, has announced that it is relinquishing the land warning of Typhoon Kanun. So no more land warning of Typhoon Kanun to the northern part of the island of Taiwan. And so offices and schools in northern Taiwan are back to usual. That was Andy Lee reporting on the aftermath of Typhoon Kanun in Taiwan. Authorities have mobilized armed police and the military to help with rescue and cleanup operations. In Beijing's suburban Fengshan district, days of downpours flooded Liolihe uh, town, trapping many local residents. Upon receiving a plea for help, 30 soldiers came to the rescue right away with amphibious vehicles. Zhang Jiaxin was one of the many trapped people the soldiers took to safer locations. Our residential community has no water, power, telecommunications network access or gas as a result of the disaster. We were all quite worried. Fortunately, the soldiers used the armored vehicle to take us out. When we saw them, we felt quite relieved. As of uh, 10 o'clock Thursday, over 1,400 had evacuated to safety and a cleanup was underway. The torrential downpour that pummeled Beijing in recent days was the heaviest since records began 140 years ago. 
Mentogo in southwest Beijing uh, was among the neighborhoods hardest hit by the recent heavy rains and flash floods. Uh, waters have receded and cleanup efforts are underway. Uh, meantime, many local shop owners have returned to take stock of what they've lost. Huang Yue has that report. In the downtown area of Mentogo District, powerful floods leave behind thick black soot and mud. Sanitation crews, along with government workers and volunteers, are busy cleaning up the main street as the first step in dealing with the aftermath of flash flooding. Some small shops along the river have been hit hard by flood waters, and the shop owners return to clean up the damage in their stores. We came to check the store at 7 a.m., and we couldn't even get inside. The floor was full of silt. I live upstairs in this building, so I saw the water surging and realized my shop would be flooded. This morning when I came to check, some of the trousers and shoes were soaked in water, totaling about 2,000 yuan. Such losses are still in a manageable range, but others have suffered a much bigger disaster. It's a great loss. More than 100,000 yuan of tea leaves were soaked in water, which means they're ruined. I have no choice but to throw them away. I grew up here, and I've had the store for over 10 years. I have never seen such heavy rings. All these electronic devices, computers, printers, paper, they've been exposed to flood water. I haven't calculated the losses, but it's no less than tens of thousands of yuan. I still haven't switched on the electricity as there is still water. So far, the urban areas of Mentogo district have resumed electricity and water supplies. But the rescue operation in remote villages is still ongoing as the floods cut off roads, power and drinking water. As of Thursday afternoon, all the villages in the district, which had lost contact with the outside world, were reconnected. Shelters have been set up in nearby schools for villagers affected by the disaster. That was Huang Yue reporting. Chinese authorities are warning of meteorological events, including heavy rains and secondary disasters, along with high temperatures, tropical cyclones, drought, and forest fires. National Climate Center Deputy Chief Zhang Hengde says recent weather patterns in China may affect agriculture. Parts of northwestern and northern China will have dry conditions and droughts in regions such as Shanxi and Gansu may persist or develop. The hot and dry conditions won't help corn growth. It may affect regional yields and is not ideal for potatoes, soybeans and grains. The official says other agricultural products prone to weather changes include cotton and fruits. Coming up, former U.S. President Donald Trump makes a brief court appearance in Washington, D.C. Over the past weekend, maximum precipitation in northern China reached over 1,000 millimeters in three days, equivalent to the total amount of rainfall typically seen over two years. Elsewhere in the north, including Beijing, people also experience unprecedented and destructive rainfall. What caused this weather anomaly? How are communities coping with the situation? To what extent is this related to climate change? And what can we learn from it? If that's the case, then next year could be even hotter than this year. Tune in to Deep Dive this week to explore the answers. 
available on all major podcast platforms. Just search for Deep Dive. Right, 11 minutes past the hour. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's pleaded not guilty to conspiring to overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election. Trump made a brief appearance in a Washington court on four charges related to his actions after his election defeat. Uh, Philip Crowther has more. Not guilty of the plea from the former president, not surprisingly, in a very short appearance here in this courthouse in Washington, D.C., a very short walk away from the U.S. Capitol. It was just under 30 minutes that Donald Trump spent in this courtroom. He was sitting at the defendant's table, flanked by his two lawyers, saw the judge, uh, the uh, special counsel as well, and uh, was able to put in that not guilty plea. And that was pretty much it from the former president. He spent a very short time here in the U.S. Capitol and flew off again to his golf club in New Jersey. Just about enough time for him to give a very short statement to media on the tarmac, decrying uh, this case again as political interference and criticizing the city in which it is taking place. Uh, When you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. Now it's a big logistical challenge that is coming Donald Trump's way, as as, as well as, of course, a huge legal challenge, because this is a man who's campaigning for the White House. He is the favorite to become the nominee for the Republican Party. He will continue on the campaign trail, all the while having to defend himself, together with his lawyers, in three separate courtrooms, in three criminal cases, in three separate U.S. cities. And the next court dates are coming. The 28th of August, we will see the next hearing here in Washington, D.C., in this criminal case, though Donald Trump is not necessarily expected to attend that hearing. There were no mass demonstrations for Donald Trump or indeed against him here. He had not put out a call for his supporters to come out here en masse and indeed they didn't. Just a few dozen Trump supporters here at best and quite a few people here as well to celebrate his indictment. That was Philip Crowther reporting. Uh, protesters have poured into the streets of Niger, calling for an end to sanctions imposed by a block of West African states. The demonstrations coincided with the 63rd anniversary of the West African nation's independence from France. The military leaders say they'll uh, end uh, the mandates of ambassadors to several states, including France and the United States. Uh, meantime, they uh, continue to face pressure from world leaders to reinstate ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. Adechi Badamosi reports from from neighboring Nigeria. The pro-coup demonstrators gathered in the country's capital to demonstrate their support for the new military regime of General Abdurrahmani Tiani. They denounced the West African ECOWAS bloc and other Western countries that have condemned the coup against President Mohamed Bazoum. In a televised address to the nation, the self-declared leader General Tiani says he's open to dialogue and would work towards a short and peaceful transition timetable that will lead to general elections. Meanwhile, defense chiefs from the region held a meeting in the Nigerian capital, Abuja, to work out strategy for possible military intervention to restore democracy in Niger. ECOWAS says it is still exploring diplomatic measures to get General Tiani and his men back to the barracks and reinstate President Bazoum to office. It says a military option would be a last resort. U.S. President Joe Biden has called for Bazoum's immediate release and the restoration of democracy in Niger. 
In the meantime, the United States has ordered the evacuation of some staff and families from its embassy in the country. It, however, says the mission will remain open and core staff will continue working there. France, for its part, says it has concluded evacuation of its nationals and some foreigners who had indicated interest to leave Niger. And that was Deji Badamosi reporting. UNESCO is sounding the alarm about Venice, Italy. It's one of the world's most popular tourism destinations, but all that tourism and climate change are taking a serious toll. Alex Fraser has more. Gondolas, canals and Gothic architecture. Venice is one of Europe's iconic cities. Around 50,000 people live in the city, but during peak times it receives more than 110,000 visitors per day. Now UNESCO is warning Venice risks irreversible damage from both mass tourism and climate change. It says it should be added to a list of World Heritage Sites in danger. UNESCO blames authorities for a lack of overall vision to mitigate the impact of mass tourism. In 2022, 8.9 million people visited. Many Venetians want to see those numbers curbed. There is too much tourism, tourism that helps no one. They arrive in the morning and return home in the evening, and they leave their rubbish here for the Venetians. There are too many people, and Venice hasn't been respected. Venice's authorities want to introduce a daily charge for tourists entering the city to try to limit numbers. However, its implementation has been delayed several times. The city is also at risk from flooding. On Tuesday night, St Mark's Square was underwater. It's only the third time it's happened in August in the last 150 years. Since the activation of a barrier system in the lagoon in 2020 following record floods, the situation has improved. Despite this, rising global sea levels still remain a threat to the city's long-term future. In September, a UNESCO committee will meet in Saudi Arabia to review more than 200 locations and decide which ones will be added to the endangered list. Whether Venice is added or not, the city needs to find solutions for coping with millions of tourists and dealing with the effects of climate change. That was Alex Fraser reporting. Well, as the job market becomes increasingly competitive in China, authorities across the country have launched a slew of initiatives and programs to help graduates uh, transition smoothly into their professional lives. Uh, Zheng Tao has more. Local governments across China have been working closely with universities and enterprises to provide career counseling, job fairs, and other resources to help graduates land a job. Yang Guoqiang with China Central Normal University says the school has been actively collaborating with employers to provide sufficient support. Since January, we have taken the impact of COVID-19 into consideration. We have job fairs every day, elite double selection job fairs every Wednesday, and double selection job fairs every Friday. We also teamed up with the recruitment enterprises to set up some major job fairs. The overall quantity and the quality of job opportunities we provided for graduates have improved compared to last year. At Yang's school, the job fairs have provided over 65,000 job positions for graduates, which means on average each of the graduates can have up to seven job opportunities to select from. Also, the university has leveraged the use of new technologies, such as the application of online employment apps and online platforms to boost employment. 
We developed a WeChat mini-app last year to help graduates to find employment. Through the app, we can provide one-to-one -one targeted employment guidance and a personalized consultation. We have also developed a system for graduates to handle procedures leaving the school, so that the whole process can be done merely on students' mobile phones. Meanwhile, local authorities in Shandong have also been providing employment support, such as setting up more specialized job fairs for graduates. As a result, they have provided over 2 million jobs for graduates so far this year in the province. Dong Tingjie is with the Human Resources and Social Security Department in Shandong. He says local authorities have also provided training programs to help graduates gain valuable industry insights and develop the skills they need to succeed in their chosen fields. We organized public employment service agencies and human resources service agencies to carry out employment instruction and employment experience activities on campus. Given that this year saw a record 11.5 million of graduates, several employers say they have focused more on employee skills this year. Tan Linting works in HR with a tech enterprise in Shenzhen. The job market is more competitive, but I want to emphasize the importance of professional ability. Our company is still hiring the job market, and there are still many open positions. To ensure that graduates are well prepared for the challenges of the modern job market, the recruiter suggests graduates should spend more time on skills-based training. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. Coming up, more foreigners are choosing to live in the Chinese countryside instead of big cities. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. We're at 20 minutes past the hour. Well, in this latest episode, our last episode from Hunan, we chat with a couple from South Africa about why they uh, chose to settle in a small county in central China and how they're doing now. Remote rural towns may seem too small for some people, but they continue to attract foreign professionals wishing to create a life in China. Sinella Budalizi spoke with Stephen and Ruth Green, who have uh, set up in Dao County, uh, rather they set up Dao County's first life skills training center. Joyful sounds of children fill a colorful classroom as they sing and play with their teachers in one of the most remote counties in China. With bright smiles on their faces, Stephen and Ruth Green seem to really love their lifestyle in Dao County, which took me about five hours to reach by train from Hunan's capital, Changsha. Originally from South Africa, the couple has bucked the trend among their peers by choosing to live in a remote, small town in China. Because it is smaller here, we thought there would be better opportunities just to yeah, build stronger relationships, learn the culture in a deeper way, and become more integrated into the community. Ruth first came to China with her mother in 2008 to support athletes from their home country, at the Summer Olympic Games in Beijing. Years later, she returned to the country to live and work in the education sector together with her husband, Stephen. Stephen and I met a few years later. By that time, my love for China had grown even more and I was even more desperate to come back. Um, so the, one of the first questions that I asked him 
when we were considering whether to get married or not was, will you come to China with me? And so they began their China journey together in Guilin, in the Guangxi region, where they enrolled for a language course. After completing their studies, they took up teaching positions in Dao County. After their arrival, they managed to attract more foreigners to the county, and new businesses opened up. So when we first arrived in, in Dao County, there was one KFC. Now there are two KFCs and a McDonald's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like we are being noticed. Mm. Um, and um, the more that happens, the more it grows our community. We think of this as our community. About five years later, Stephen and Ruth run an English and life skills training center, teaching local children from as young as three years old to 12 years old. But the center has become more than just a language school, as it focuses on building character, self-confidence, and other critical life skills. The center had to pivot its focus towards teaching life skills after China introduced some reforms to the education policy in 2021. The government introduced new guidelines aimed at easing the burden of excessive homework and off-campus tutoring on students. While they were affected by the reforms, the Greens held the government's move as a response to the needs of students. Yeah, the things the government wants to focus on, things like mental health, life skills, um, sports, um, uh, general life skills like, like cooking and, and things like that. And um, those are things that we, um, living here and interacting with the students, we started thinking, wow, we'd love to do this kind of thing. We'd love to do this kind of course. They have introduced a new course called Adventure Club, which involves lessons such as woodwork, first aid, knot tying, outdoor cooking, and ultimate frisbee, a non-contact team sport. The course allows all members of a family to get involved in the lessons, simplifying the role of parents and guardians in supporting their kids' education. And so with our Adventure Club, we are not wanting to add to the burden, but we rather want to provide a space where kids can learn through play, and it can be a space where they are more relaxed, can feel like they are able to use creative abilities, be curious about things, um, and learn in a way that is less stressful. And so parents, are they more receptive to this way of teaching? You know, we have conversations with parents, um, but the parents that um, are part of our course, have they have enjoyed it, and they've enjoyed being part of the course. So yeah. once a month, we have a parent and child lesson, um, and so they come and join their kids. The Greens have been a welcomed addition to the community of Dow County, which has not escaped the impact of urbanization and the COVID-19 pandemic. The departure of their foreign colleagues when the global health crisis hits allowed them to train and create more job opportunities for local Chinese teachers. Um, we were yeah, incredibly blessed that the city itself wasn't locked on. Um, and so, yeah, we actually saw a bit of growth um, in our center at that time. But um, we needed to expand and foreigners were not available. Right. And so, yeah, we've started working with local Chinese English teachers.
In data released earlier this year by Hunan Statistics Bureau, the province had an urban population of nearly 40 million and a rural population of 26 million in 2022. The rate of urbanization went up by 0.6% compared to 2021, resulting in nearly 290,000 more people residing in urban areas, while rural areas saw 470,000 fewer people. Smaller communities like Dow County bear the brunt of the shift, but Ruth says authorities should repurpose empty facilities to skill centers. We also have noticed that in a lot of the small villages, there are schools that are now abandoned because students have gone to learn in bigger cities. And so to us, it just seems like there's so much potential to create these spaces where families can learn together. In, in those abandoned schools? Yeah, and so if, if we could use those schools to create those environments, to us that would be one of the most exciting things we could do. Perhaps they won't remain closed for too long. The joyful sounds of these children and others will once again ring out from these schools soon. Ruth and Stephen Green have been approached by the local government about starting a mental health awareness program for schools in the area. As members of the Dow County community, they are hoping to continue playing a role in improving the well-being of children and families for many years to come. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Zanele Butelezi in Dao County, Hunan Province. You can find this week's series on Hunan Province online at uh, radio.cgtn.com in the featured sounds section. We're at 28 minutes past the hour now. Check in the forecast ahead of the break. And Beijing's at 26 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, we'll see some more rain in 33. Chongqing's at 24 this evening, then a slight rain in 34. Last is down to 11, then rain and 22 on Saturday. Hong Kong's 27 tonight, showers and 33 tomorrow. Tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 27 this evening. It's sunny and 34 tomorrow. Islamabad will have a slight rain and 24 uh, tonight and continuing through the day tomorrow with a high of 33. Bangkok's 27 tonight, then a slight rain and 35 on Saturday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Hebei province continues to struggle with surging floodwaters as the emergency situation in Beijing gradually calms down. And former U.S. President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to charges of conspiring to overturn the 2020 election. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday. Still to come. In business, China's latest moves to boost the economy and drive high-quality development. In sports, a Team China update from the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, Russian films on screen at the 18th Chungchun Film Festival. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. 
Now, a check of the day's headline news, and the risk of geological disaster remains high in Beijing's mountainous suburbs. Weather authorities forecast thunderstorms in the Chinese capital on Friday and Saturday. Rescue operations continue in the aftermath of Typhoon Doksuri's record rainfall in Beijing and neighboring areas. Central authorities and local governments have sent rescue teams to Hebei. Zhuazhou is the province's hardest-hit city, with over 130,000 people affected. In Tianjin Municipality, residents in uh, Jinghai District have relocated. Northeast China is now seeing heavy rainfall, with a flood reported in the Mudan River Basin. Heilongjiang Province has raised its flood response to the second-highest level. Tonga is experiencing unusually cold weather. Uh, Tonga Tapu Island recorded a low of 9.3 degrees Celsius at the end of July. That was the lowest on uh, record for the Pacific Island country this year. The average temperature uh, for July uh, in uh, Tonga Tapu is 21 degrees Celsius. Officials say the climate's leaning towards El Nino conditions now. The meteorology department issued an El Nino alert for Tonga last month. An apparently random attack near Seoul has left one dead and 13 others injured. Thursday's incident was the second uh, such rampage in South Korea in less than two weeks after a man rammed his car into passersby before stabbing multiple people at a shopping mall in Songnam. It sparked fears among local residents. I've always been telling my kids to be careful when they go abroad due to gun fears, but now I'm more scared of being in South Korea. It's unnerving. Something like this could happen right next to me. President Yoon Suk-yeol has called the incident an act of terrorism against innocent citizens and ordered police to mobilize all available resources to ease public concerns. Protesters have gathered in front of the Public Security Department in Sao Paulo after a six-day police operation killed at least 16 people in the Brazilian city. Uh, demonstrators and relatives of victims chanted slogans against the state governor and demanded the end of the military police. Children and mothers are afraid to leave their homes, and men are also fearful to go out. They ask their wives to pick them up from places like the hairdresser, barber shop and work because there is an atmosphere of terror prevailing in the communities. In the end, the stray bullet always finds the bodies of poor black people from outskirts. It's a security policy that does not ensure the safety of the people, but rather extermination. Local police launched uh, shield, uh, the shield operation in response to the killing of an officer by a gunman allegedly linked to drug trafficking last month. Uh, 600 police officers deployed to reinforce policing into neighborhoods on the outskirts to apprehend those responsible for the officer's death. The operation has raised questions about the use of lethal force by the police. A mid-air scare has forced an India, uh, Indigo Airlines uh, flight to make an emergency landing at an airport in the Indian state of Bihar. Uh, officials say everyone on board is safe. The Delhi-bound flight carrying 181 passengers and uh, eight crew members made the landing shortly after taking off from the state capital. Media reports said the passengers will be sent to Delhi on a separate flight. 
Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory says it's delivered over 540,000 units so far this year, surpassing its total deliveries throughout 2021. The Shanghai plant delivered over 64,000 electric vehicles in July. It's up nearly 130% from the same period last year. The automaker says local partners supply more than 95% of car components used in the Shanghai plant. Data shows Norway's salmon exports to China reached 22.5 million U.S. dollars in July, a 90% increase compared to the same time last year. In terms of volume, the Nordic country shipped over 3,200 metric tons of salmon to China last month, representing a 60% increase from the previous year. The Norwegian Seafood Council says the surging demand for salmon has helped boost the country's seafood exports. That's your headline news update. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's latest moves to boost the economy and drive high-quality development. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. At 36 minutes past the hour, turning to business now and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mainland markets did manage to end the week with gains. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index was one of the few regional benchmarks in better shape at the close of trade on Friday than it was at the opening on Monday, uh, having inched a bit more than a tenth of 1% higher over the course of the week uh, and its notable ups and downs. The index added about a quarter of 1% uh, after some more supportive statements from the central bank and the country's top economic planning body. We had the uh, People's Bank of China saying that it would be stepping up efforts to support private enterprises and the National Development and Reform Commission saying monetary policy tools like reserve requirement cuts need to be used flexibly. Chinese tech shares got a lift from those comments about support for the private sector. We saw software maker Kingsoft adding 3.7% while Apple supplier Foxconn's A-share listing gained 5.6%. The talk of flexibility in triple R cuts sparked gains for financial shares. China Merchants Bank added a little over half of 1%, as did Bank of China. That was stock market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index rose around uh, six-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei also saw a little uptick. Chinese policymakers have been making efforts to bolster the real economy. They've stressed the importance of macroeconomic policy support to boost the economy and drive high-quality development, Gao Ang reports. A proactive fiscal policy, a prudent monetary policy, improving tax and fee reduction while supporting technological innovation, the real economy and small and micro-enterprises. These are the microeconomic priorities set out by Chinese government officials in Beijing on Friday. In terms of improving the quality of supply, we have introduced measures to accelerate the development of advanced manufacturing clusters, promote the high-quality development of new energy vehicles, and support the financing of technology-based enterprises. Other measures include expanding effective demand, 
such as boosting spending on household goods and electronic products, as well as deepening reform and opening up. As for monetary policy, officials said China's central bank has maintained sufficient liquidity and offers strong support for major sectors such as manufacturing, green development, and small and medium-sized enterprises. We will keep the interest rate at a reasonable level. We will not only make timely and appropriate countercyclical adjustments according to the economic and financial situation and the needs of macro regulation, but also take into account the balance between growth and risks, internal and external. As for fiscal policy, officials said that they would increase the tax and fee preferences for small and micro enterprises and individual industrial and commercial households, so as to boost their confidence and stabilize market expectations. Officials stressed the next step will include expanding domestic demand, supporting the real economy, boosting technological self-reliance and self-improvement, and promoting employment and income. And that was Gao Ang reporting. McKinsey's latest view on China's consumer recovery is cautiously optimistic. The management consulting company notes that uh, most economic and consumption data for the first half of the year has been trending well. And McKinsey points to China's retail sales of goods rising nearly seven percent on a yearly basis, while food service sales increased by twenty-one percent during the period. In the meantime, spending on clothing, cosmetics, and vehicles all experienced double-digit growth compared to last year. Bank of England increased its key interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point, reaching a 15-year peak of five and a quarter percent. However, British annual inflation remains at nearly eight percent, significantly higher than that of the eurozone and the United States. Lee Jianhua reports. Most residents in the UK are already feeling the pain of the current cost of living crisis. The inflation rates in the year to June stood at. 7.9 percent. Chief among them, food inflation was as high as 17.3 percent in June. To lower the inflation rate to the target of 2 percent, the Bank of England has been raising interest rates since December 2021. But the bank's moves have created yet another pain point for people who are already struggling with the cost of living crisis. Mortgages and rents, and many people say that their pay isn't keeping up with the rising prices. Here is what some of them have to say about the current cost of living crisis in the UK. Well, I mean, inflation is infecting everybody. Everybody walks into a supermarket or needs to buy food to eat. It's it's affecting them. So so clearly, it means you have less money at the end of the day. My mortgage is fixed until December, and then after that, I don't know what's going to happen. Just I might end up losing my home. I don't think Ricky Sunak's any good about economics, and funnily enough, that was the platform we got in on that he was a good, good in economy, and I don't think he is. One of the five pledges of UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak at the beginning of this year was to halve inflation by the end of this year, namely to about 5.3 percent. Now he has five months left to deliver on his promise. That was Lee Chenhua reporting. 
the Australian Central Bank trimmed its outlook for economic growth and prices on Friday. The Reserve Bank of Australia said it had considered raising rates at its August policy meeting this week, but decided the stronger case was for a pause. A market suspect uh, rates have likely peaked with futures pricing in a 50-50 chance of one further hike in the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, the RBA now sees economic growth slowing to just 0.9% this year, compared with the previous estimate of 1.2% before picking up to 2.3% in 2025. Given strong population growth of around 2%, GDP per capita was set to decline. Headline inflation is expected to slow to 4.1% by the end of the year. That's down from the previous forecast of 4.5%, but it remains sticky in 2024 before easing back to 2.8% by the end of 2025. Annual wage growth is expected to pick up uh, to a peak of 4.1% at the end of this year before easing back to 3.6% by the end of 2025. Philippine annual inflation eased for a sixth straight month in July, reflecting slower increases in food and utility costs. The Consumer Price Index rose 4.7% in July, its slowest annual increase since March of last year. But the inflation rate remained above the central bank's 2 to 4% target for the year. Headline inflation from January to July averaged 6.8%. Economists forecast the Consumer Price Index would rise by 5% in July, above the central bank's projection of 4.1 to 4.9 percent for the month. Core inflation, which uh, strips out volatile food and fuel items, slowed to 6.7 percent in July, falling from 7.4 percent in the previous month. China witnessed an 8.2% jump in retail sales during the first half of this year. Analysts say high-end goods are now playing a greater role in China's efforts to upgrade the consumer experience. Lily Liu has more. Luxury companies are banking on China as the key growth market, given that Chinese high-end spending accounts for nearly 75% of all the new spending globally. According to Bain & Company's recent study, the luxury market in Chinese mainland is expected to continue to rebound after a strong first quarter. We believe that in 2023, uh, the luxury market in China, personal luxury market, that includes everything you find in a shopping mall plus luxury beauty, um, so those categories will get back to the 2021 level uh, by the end of 23. There is an expected trend among Chinese consumers to purchase a significant portion of their luxury products locally in the future. This sentiment is shared by luxury companies that are expanding their presence in China to better service their Chinese clientele. For instance, Harrods, the London-based luxury department store, has selected Shanghai as the location for its first-ever private members club. The Harrods residence offers a distinct advantage by providing exclusive products that are currently unavailable in China and delivering them directly to customers in the country. Harrods has significant product advantages. It has established collaborations with luxury suppliers from around the world, allowing access to a wide range of products that local department stores cannot offer. The Yauk Institute reports that in 2022, high-end consumers, comprising only 0.3% of China's population, were responsible for 82% of the country's luxury spending. It is an indispensable consumer group that cannot be ignored. On one hand, consumption led and driven by high-quality consumption involves a total market size of more than 10 trillion yuan. 
Although it accounts for less than a quarter of China's total sales of customer goods, it contributes over 70% of corporate profits. The future high-quality consumption market will create no less than 5 million job opportunities. Harold's innovative business model, which integrates Chinese consumers' digital preferences with tailored and exclusive face-to-face services, could be a source of inspiration for other retailers and brands looking to revamp their strategies in China. And that was Lily Liu reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour and coming up in sports, Team China update from the World University Games. Chengdu, a city known for its buzzing nightlife and giant pandas, as well as being a famous foodie destination, is the host city for the 31st Summer World University Games. Athletes from over 80 countries and regions will be competing in 18 sports to fight for a chance to stand on the podium. Who are the star players? What are the highlights of the day's matches? And which team leads the medal table? Tuning to the Beijing Hour on CGTN Radio, will bring you the latest news, highlights, and previews during this year's Summer World University Games in Chengdu. 48 past the hour, turning to sports. Thank you, Shane. Olympic champion Zhang Yufei has won her fourth swimming gold medal at the World University Games after a women's 100-meter freestyle triumph. Zhang achieved consecutive successes in all the competitions she entered in Chengdu. Chinese athletes also collected four more golds as the Wushu competition concluded at the Games. Following a gold medal for the Artistic Gymnastics men's team event, China added another in the women's team event. Elsewhere, the pair of Liu Dingshu and Qian Tianyi took the table tennis mixed doubles title winning an all-Chinese final. With more from the games in Chengdu, Tianyu joins us live now. Tianyu, among the non-medal events, China has reached the women's basketball final. Um, how is their university campaign looking right now? Well, yeah, first of all, Chinese women's basketball team has continued to forge ahead by beating Team Chinese Taipei 83-61. Star player Han Xu got a game-high 22 points with 11 rebounds. And all five starting players of the Chinese squad has gained over 10 points in the game. Hanshu has really showed her dominance in the third quarter for gaining six points from steals in a row and helping the team expand their lead to 15 points. And their finals opponent will be Team Japan on Saturday night. For Friday, in, also in table tennis, a sport where China has long ruled the game, the fourth gold medal of the team came in women's double, where two Chinese pairs were competing in the final and it was Chen Tianyi and Zhao Xiang who won the neck-and-neck game 4-3. Also in diving, Chinese divers Chen Jia and Yang Ling managed to win in women's synchronized 3-meter springboard final, while the mixed pair formed by Wang Weiying and Wang Binghan also got to prevail in the mixed synchronized 10-meter platform final and added two goals for the team. And in artistic gymnastics, as you mentioned, Zhang Boheng and Xu Songwang both a gold and a silver in men's individual all-around final. And finally, in tennis, Chinese pair Guo Hanyu and Jiang Xingyu beat the Japanese pair in straight sets and landed, landed in the final of the women's double. It was the second time for the reigning champion Guo Hanyu to enter the final of women's double in the World University Games. And their finals rivals will be Wu Fangxiang and Liang Enshuo with Chinese Taipei, who both rank higher than the Chinese players 
but Guo says they will do their utmost to fight for the gold medal in the game. Mm, a quite successful day for Chinese athletes indeed. Well, the university ladies passed the halfway point. What will be the highlight events this weekend? Well, it's finally the end of the week, and we can spare some time to sit on the couch and watch some great games on the weekend. Well, first of all, we can definitely look forward to the women's basketball final between Team China and Japan. Okamoto Miyu has been the standout player in the Japanese squad who scored a game-high 20 points with five out of eight uh, three-pointers in the semifinal against Finland. But, uh, but I think with the dominance in the low post led by players like Han Xu and Wang Yutong, it is still the Chinese team that has the advantage over their opponents, and we can see how it will progress. Also in ping pong, there will be an intense match in the semifinal of women's singles between Chen Tianyi and Zhao Xiang, who just teamed up and won the gold medal in women's doubles. So there's definitely a lot to look up for in the, in the action. And finally, in swimming, we can keep casting our eyes on Zhang Yufei, who will compete in both women's 100 meters butterfly and 4x200 meters freestyle relay. Let's see if she can add to her success in her medal-laden tournament in Chengdu. Yang Guang. All right, thank you very much. That was Tian Yu at the Chengdu World University Games. Turning to football, two-time winners Germany have crashed out of the Women's World Cup at the group stage for the first time while Morocco made history by qualifying for the round of 16 in their debut in the competition. Germany, who won the Women's World Cup in 2003 and 2007 and are ranked the second in the world, needed a win against South Korea to be short of progressing from Group H, but were held to a one-all draw in Brisbane. German captain Alexandra Pop says it's hard to accept an elimination so early at the tournament. I don't think I can really say anything on that topic. All I can say is that our coach did have to face a lot of emotions. I think we'll have to find our composure again. I think we'll need to analyze what has happened. So there was not much said. We do need a little bit of time now to process what has happened. And yes, to be able to find some confidence again. Despite Morocco's one win against uh, Colombia in Perth, Germany's loss ensured that both sides have reached the last 16, with Morocco being the first Arab or North African nation to go beyond group stage at Women's World Cup, and the only one of eight tournament newcomers to advance. Despite consistent interest from Chelsea and a few other English Premier League clubs, Brighton is reportedly expecting star defensive midfielder Moses Caicedo to remain at the club when the transfer window shuts. As of yet, no clubs have reached Brighton's valuation upwards of £100 million for the 21-year-old Ecuador international, and they don't think that situation will change. Brighton immediately rejected Chelsea's bid of £80 million, but they are expected to return with the higher bid. Reports have stated that Brighton is determined to keep Caicedo despite his alleged poor attitude towards the club as this transfer saga continues. Thank you very much. That's Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, Russian films on screen at the 18th Chungchun Film Festival. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. 
54 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. Uh, the upcoming 18th Chungchun Film Festival will screen several Russian films. Uh, this is the first time the festivals included international elements. The city in northeast China is the cradle of the Chinese film industry and uh, hosted its first festival back in 1992. The event starts on August 28th and wraps up on September 2nd. Anacom and Games Hong Kong is wrapped up with uh, happy fans cheering for a bigger event this year, free from pandemic impacts. For five uh, whole days, enthusiastic attendees immerse themselves in the world of anime, comics, video games, cosplay, and super rare collectibles. And Chung was in on that action. The 24th Anacom and Games Hong Kong is back again. The five-day event, with over 120 exhibitors and nearly 600 booths, offers a wide range of anime, comics, video games, performances and rare toys from all around the world. Cosplay is always a big highlight, and many use this opportunity to dress up as their favorite characters. Hello, this is Velam, and I feel so excited as it is my first time to come here. I'm Giorno Giovanna from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 5. I made my own hair and bought my clothes online. The pandemic is considered over and we don't have to wear face masks anymore. So there are more people this year. There is also more publicity and activities. So it feels very lively and everyone's very enthusiastic. Some have chosen to aim higher and showcase their talents at the cosplay contest. While this is just a local contest, there's also an international one that's making its return for the first time in three years. Meanwhile, others have set their sights on shopping. I bought an umbrella. It's merchandise from the manga, Case Closed. I'm mostly here to buy Case Closed products. I also bought a puzzle. I didn't buy any action figures, but I got some small toys. I spent about five to six hundred Hong Kong dollars. Three zero, one of the bigger booths, says that all of its limited edition items, including the Robodo Tekamon Blade, were sold out by morning on day one of the fair. This year's crowd is definitely bigger than last year's. Sales from just the first two days have already surpassed the total amount from last year's event. We estimate that overall sales from this event will be 40% more than last year's. You can really feel that people came prepared to shop. So the atmosphere is great. This fair is also a chance for people to test out the latest video games. For example, new racing game is centered around Hong Kong, and you can have a feel of what it's like to drive through the streets of the city. Meanwhile, people are concentrating hard on their mobile phones. That's because it's a contest, and they're duking it out in the popular shooting game PUBG. Those on stage are also in the competition, and the last person standing is the winner. Many accessories are also being showcased for sale. That was Anne Chung reporting in Hong Kong. A stage drama which brings a, a female orchestra from over 1,000 years ago back to life is coming to Beijing. It's based on 24 carved figures of female musicians and dancers from the royal tomb of Wang Jian. A Chinese band consisting of 24 members has revitalized the group using traditional Chinese musical instruments to showcase the lively music of the Tang Dynasty as well as some modern melodies. The band launched its national tour in Sichuan province at the beginning of the year, and it now goes to the Chinese capital.
We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the weekend and Beijing's at 26 overnight. Tomorrow, slight rain and a high of 33 degrees Celsius. Chongqing's at 24 this evening, then some rain and 34. Lasts us down to 11. A slight rain and 22 on Saturday. Hong Kong's at 27 this evening. It'll get showers and 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 27 degrees overnight. Sunny and 34 tomorrow. Islam, uh, Islamabad will see some uh, rain and 24 this evening, 33 tomorrow. Bangkok's 27 overnight, then a slight rain and 35 on Saturday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting cloudy skies and 24 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 12 this evening, then a slight rain and 18. Auckland's 10 overnight, then sunny and 15. Port Vila is getting a slight rainfall and 26 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Hubei province continues to struggle with surging floodwaters as the emergency situation in Beijing gradually calms down. And former U.S. President Donald Trump's pleaded not guilty to charges of conspiring to overturn the 2020 election. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.